Wayne Sprouty, the talks for the superstar. Tonight, tonight, Welcome back to Office Hours. I'm Ernest Wilkins. Office Hours is a podcast about the business of culture and has made it mess, a design, development, and content studio located in Chicago. Mess helps brands tell their story online and off. Find out more by visiting www.madeatmess.com. When's the last time you watched professional wrestling? If you're like most Americans over the age of 30, you grew up in a world where promotions like WCW, WWE, back then it was WWF, uh, and ECW were on television nationally. Names like Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and Goldberg were household names. If you're not as familiar, consider this. On May 10th, 1999, WWE broadcast an episode of Raw that achieved an 8.1 rating. That's the show's highest ever rating to date. For comparison, if you don't watch wrestling, this year's NBA Finals between Toronto and Golden State averaged an 8.8 per game. So you figure that translates to around 15 million people tuning in to watch this. That might not be something you would expect to be out of the norm for a big brand like the NBA, but for a smaller niche kind of thing like professional wrestling, that's insanely high numbers. Since the 90s and the wrestling industry's mainstream peak, Business has kind of stagnated as the prime demo aged out and MMA, particularly UFC, captured a large share of the former audience. Nowadays, wrestling's back on the upswing. WWE announced a new broadcast deal with Fox that's going to see them move their SmackDown show, which is their secondary brand that airs on Tuesdays at NBC Universal's USA Network, over to Fox programming. The new deal is worth $205 million annually, which means about $1.25 billion over the course of the five-year deal. Regardless of programming, any show that can garner that, that level of commitment from major network in this day and age is something to pay attention to. Also, a new promotion that's helmed by several popular independent talents and some ex-WWE talent called AEW debuts this fall on the former home of WCW, TNT. After years of falling out of the mainstream, this fall will now see the biggest slate of wrestling programming on mainstream network television since the late 90s. I watch wrestling, but for the fans who don't or people who haven't watched in over 25 years, you may be asking, why are people still paying for wrestling? Why is this something that is a business model that people can follow and invest in from small promotions to global brands? So I felt like it was time to take a look at the business of wrestling culture and who better to help walk me through it than Danny Daniels, the owner of Chicago's AAW wrestling promotion. In order to get a sense of the wrestling climate in 2019, think about wrestling like any other major business. There are major players. In this case, WWE would be Walmart. Uh, AAW would be that hot local store that stocks the hottest brands who eventually end up getting a deal with Walmart. Uh, I, I like to think when I'm talking to people about a promotion like AEW, you got to call it something like a super indie, right? So in the mid 2000s, the business produced several independent promotions who ran shows in the specific regions or cities in which they were based. So over time, these promotions build strong fan bases by creating new stars and bringing in talent that fans can recognize from a larger promotion like a WWE. 
AEW takes a unique approach, though, in providing what I call supercards. And I think it's a wrestling term. I didn't make that up. But supercards are where some of the best talent in the world are brought in to create these matches that are if you are a wrestling fan who has only seen, you know, this world class talent on video or on demand or on YouTube, you can actually go and witness them in person. And that's something that has helped AAW stand out against the competition. Um, they've graduated wrestlers to WWE, Evolve, Ring of Honor, a lot of the major uh, independent and professional organizations in wrestling. And honestly, a lot of people look at it from wrestlers all the way through talent, managers, all the people who make the show happen, looking at it as a, a pivotal stop on the road to the big time. So this weekend in the city of Chicago, the aforementioned AEW is holding a pay-per-view in the Chicagoland area. Given the increased attention in AEW and the forthcoming TV deals for that promotion as well as WWE, Smaller promotions like AEW will put on shows this weekend around the larger pay-per-view. They do this in order to take advantage of an out-of-town travelers and that rabid fan base that Chicago produces. So that's my side of it, but I think you can hear it better from the man himself. Ladies and gentlemen, here now is my interview with Danny Daniels. Really excited to have you aboard today. I kind of want to get a sense of how did you get started in the wrestling business? Uh, I trained with Al Snow in 1997. Um, so I, I wrestled for nine to 10 years before I bought AEW. And again, like just the normal indie wrestler guy, you know, I had a uh, cup of coffee in Ring of Honor. I had a cup of coffee in the original ECW. So, you know, I, I tried to get my name out there, but after so long, I kind of realized, all right, I'm, I'm never truly going to make a living at this so uh, you know a couple things happened in my life and i'm like why not just get my own promotion uh aw was running at the time uh i worked for them for as a talent uh and that's where i met uh, a friend of mine jim lynham which the tournament is named after so he was booking aw when i was just a talent and then, you know, I, it was a home promotion. So, I, you know, I would talk to him regularly and I told him how I thought the promotion could be better. And one thing led to another. He talked to the owner. He's like, hey, why don't you let Danny just book the shows? So I, I again, I booked the shows for a little while and the houses were tripled by the time, uh, you know, when I started booking, they were drawing 90 fans and at within four or five months, we were up to 300, which is good for an interview. At the time, that's, uh, eventually, I feel like independent wrestling was kind of, you know, this situation, even like that time or like Ring of Honor, if you said in TNA, I feel like in the 2010s, you kind of saw, you know, the, the birth of like, you saw what PWG was doing out in California. You kind of saw this. Yeah, but nobody, at that point, nobody was drawing. I mean, Ring of Honor came to Chicago and they drew 400 people. And I remember being on the shows. Nobody was drawing. You know, they, don't get me wrong. They built their business. and. It ended up doing very well in Chicago, but in the mid 2000s, nobody was drawing. Uh, I, I remember I was on shows and the lineups were stacked, and we, we were happy to draw 200 people. And you so were drawing 300, it was I was ecstatic at the time, but I felt okay, this isn't mine. If I'm doing so well within a half year, I just kind of wanted it to be mine. And again, I didn't think I was going to move up, so I'm like, what is my legacy at the time going to be with wrestling? And I'm like, well, if I'm not going to make it as a wrestler, hopefully people remember me as a promoter, booker, you know. And so that's kind of where we got started with it. Awesome. Um, so 
you mentioned he said the mid 2000s was kind of a, a bleak time for independent wrestling. And I think, you know, there's a direct correlation between that and the loss of the mainstream kind of audience after, you know, the Attitude Era uh, around. Absolutely. Well, remember, at the time, people were watching wrestling if it wasn't WWE. And again, and they were they were booming at the time. But other people enjoyed WCW and you had your ECW. So there was a lot of pro wrestling on TV. And again, if, if you're a fan of it, you're like, hey, there's a pro wrestling, the local show's coming to town. I'm going to go check it out, right. you know? So, and when there's only one game in town, that might not be everybody's favorite ice cream. You know what I mean? Totally. Uh, even though vanilla or chocolate may be the most popular, not everybody's going to like that flavor. So now when you don't have enough people eating your ice cream or watching your product, they stop being wrestling fans. So 2001 or 2000, 2001, the indies were still booming. But when the competition went away and it was just WWF, I, I think not enough eyeballs were on pro wrestling in general. And I, I think the Indies kind of suffered for that for, I would say, 10 years at least. For sure. You had your pop-ups that were doing very – not pop-ups, but you had your good promoters that were doing very well. But, you know, it's just a good house was – you know, a really good house was four or 500 people. Yeah, and it's now in a situation now where you have some of these independent federations bringing in 2,500, 3,000 people for a weekend show, uh, you know, around, you know, if they, this, and I want to get into the conversation around like the super show weekends that have started to pop up around, you know, major WWE uh, moments in paper. Mm-hmm. But I want to take a step back really quickly because the thing that you mentioned, you know, this is Chicago. And I think a lot of the listeners here don't have a sense of Chicago's place in wrestling history. I mean, you want to you want to kind of give some insight into why this has always kind of been a stronger town for wrestling well i mean back in the day you can uh and i i could be wrong on my terminology or like the venue but uh chicago was the place that the first tv wrestling was aired at the marymount theater in chicago so it's always had a history it's always been a hotbed for awa back in the 70s and 80s uh dick the bruiser had his territory here uh, it's always done well there. Even in the uh, 80s, you had Crockett Promotions coming through. Obviously, WWF did killer business here. Uh, you know, moving on, a lot of the major companies came through here and always did good business here. The Midwest has always done very well. Uh, as far as the Indies go, uh, I, I don't know this, but the lineage that the furthest that I remember is Windy City Wrestling. And oh, yeah, they did well for, yeah, they did well for many years. and. Their claim to fame is the owner actually had Paul Heyman booking the, booking the shows for a while, and he wanted that to be his version of ECW because they did have localized TV here. And the owner thought, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to give up total reins to it. And he, he turned him down, and, and Paul Heyman left and latched on to – and this was in the late 80s before Paul Heyman went to Crockett. Right. Or NWA at the time. Uh, and then eventually he landed, you know, after he got let go from WCW, he went to Philadelphia. So, right. But after that, you know, th- there wasn't a lot. There was, there was maybe four groups because we had a, we had a commission here, which an athletic commission, which made it very difficult for anybody just to run shows. Where now there's not a commission, so anybody can run shows in Chicago. Now, in your opinion, I think, 
that's something that speaks to kind of the market in general around wrestling fans. And I think one of the things I like to try to tell, talk to my audience is, yes, this culture exists, but there's business behind it. So in your opinion, I think, what do you think is like kind of the necessities about running a promotion? Like what are the things that people who might, you know, they consider themselves a fan or someone who might be a, a previous wrestler like yourself, who want to take that leap and want to think about, you know, not just becoming a booker, but somebody who puts on shows in their region. You know, what are those hidden things that people don't pay attention to? Uh, my number one thing is be different. If you can't be different or better, don't do it. Because now you're just oversaturating the market. You're, you're just running to say you ran a pro wrestling show. And that's what happens when you have a million of these groups drawing you know, uh, 50 to 150 people. It just, and just, it's just, it's a ring, it's a curtain and they say it's a pro wrestling show and that's it at the end of the day. So if you truly want to have longevity, make a profit, be noticed, get buzz exposure, you know, yada, 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 be different at the time in 2005, when I started booking in 2006, when I bought the company, it was just that people were putting on a pro wrestling show. They could bring in good talent. They could put on decent shows, but a lot of them didn't have decent storylines and the production looked terrible at the time. Nobody had a decent curtain. Nobody had, you know, cool guard railings. Nobody had banners. That's something we did different. We had the, the mini, uh, the mini screen like WWE was doing with the Titan drop. We would air promos there throughout the show. So it made the show feel like an event, not just here's eight matches, right. you know, and, and that's obviously evolved in today's standards. But again, if you're going to be a promoter, what can you do that's different? Are you going to go to LA and give, give a great wrestling show? No, because PWG already has that, right. you know, are you going to, are you going to go where GCW goes and run a hardcore or a, you know, uh, uh, a different kind of product similar to theirs? No. What are you going to do that should be better or different? It might not be better, so come up with something different. That's right. how you stand out. Yeah. And, I, and hopefully we've done that with, you know, some storylines, good shows, production, a little, bit, a little bit of everything. I don't think we have the shows of PWG does as far as, like, just the top, just the best athletes from around the world, but we're doing all right. You know, we, we uh, I can't say that any of our shows have talent that just don't belong in a wrestling ring. I believe every 90% of our roster is signed to somebody and that's kudos to us that we're, we're picking good talent. We feature good talent. So you have to do something that's different or on par with somebody who's doing well. For sure. And I think the other thing that I've noticed about AEW and what drew me to the promotion was I recognized that, you know, this is a, a place where the talent who is going to be the stars of tomorrow kind of, you know, cut their teeth a little bit because I just sure. remember showing up, you know, for the Windy City Classic and, you know, you have Tommaso Ciampa, you have these folks who then become these names, you know, Chris Hero, who now Cassius Ono, like these folks. Right. In and you get a better show because this is some of the best wrestling talent period across the world but it's also they're going up against wrestlers that are going to be those next names so i think of like a, a tag team like besties in the world right like 
Right. I look at them and I'm like, okay, I could see that. Or, or even Brody King back when he had the title. I was like, Brody King, it looks like a guy who's going to be a star, and now he's doing this thing with yeah. PCO and everything. And, and look at Brody King. Like, I, I, he wasn't doing much. Uh, I mean, he was doing a lot on the West Coast, but he wasn't getting out of L.A., you know? I, we talked briefly. I saw tapes of him, and I'm like, you know, this is a guy that I'm like, he could come in and be a main eventer right away. He's a big dude. He's believable. He kicks ass. Great look. He can fly. He can be powerful. And we, you know, we just pushed him to the moon and, you know, within, and he was only here for eight months. And then he signed right away with Ring of Honor. You know, but that, that's the fun of it. It's like finding that guy. It's like, let's put a rocket ship up his ass. Yeah. And seeing where it goes. And, and you know, good for him because he just had a baby recently and now he can feed his family with being a pro wrestler amazing so that's awesome and i think one of the that goes to another point where we talk about kind of the finances of this i think you do something that a lot of other promoters don't do and you seek out talent from other parts of the country and bring them into a hotbed like chicago i mean i know this weekend you you know bringing somebody like a kurt stallion who's from out south um you mentioned brody came from out in la there's a lot of the wrestlers um you know laredo kid uh phoenix uh pentagon like all of these wrestlers who are making their names all over the world but i don't have to leave chicago to see them and i think that's really cool yeah that, i mean well again that's us trying to be different in there there's there's probably i don't know 15 to 20 guys in the chicago land area that you can literally watch three times a weekend every weekend of the month here right. and to me you're not growing as a talent because you're working you're, you're working the same guys you're, there's no, there's, there's not any fresh eyeballs on you because you're not, you're not leaving. You know, there's a handful of groups here that do get a little buzz. Uh, and, and that's cool to try to work for them, but just to work in the area in front of the same hundred people, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors. And before you know it, it's five years later and you haven't gone anywhere. You know, you got it. You got it as a promotion. You got to bring in fresh talent. You got to bring in new talent. And as a worker, you got to get your ass out there. Even if you're going to lose a little money, hop in a car, get your butt out there, get to a new promotion. So I think that's also something that a lot of casual fans might not necessarily know about independent wrestling. Can you speak to kind of the, the, the travel aspect of it? I mean, a lot of it, I feel like people kind of think about it as terms of, oh, I'm just going to get hired by this, this wrestling company. They're going to have me featured, blah, blah, blah. But it's like when you're starting off as an independent wrestler, a lot of it is spent getting yourself out there, getting your face known, but not just in your own city, but all over the country. I mean, for folks. Absolutely. Yeah. And so to that point, I want to talk about that because I think the business aspect of that, the idea of, I think New Japan does it called it an excursion, right? So something like that, where you go, you learn the craft and you come back and you're a better wrestler for it or a better performer for it. To me, right. that's something that you want AAW to be kind of a place where that kind of development can happen. Absolutely. And, and I'm not taking credit for the, this guy, but I'm just going to give you an example. Um, Kurt Stallion. Kurt Stallion was in Texas and he wrestled for like five years. Nobody knew who he was. I've never heard of him. So he goes down, he trains with Michael Elgin uh, in St. Louis, or he comes up and trains with Michael Elgin. He lives in St. Louis. And Elgin at the time was one of the feature talents for AEW. And he kept telling me, hey, you got to use this kid. You got to use this kid. You got to use this kid. I used him for the first time at the Jim Lyman tournament two years ago, and he impressed the hell out of me. 
and I gave him all my dates. I didn't pay him a lot. He's like, I'll be here. The, the pay is, the pay doesn't matter a lot to me. He's like, I just want to be in this locker room to learn. So he was all on all our shows and we're running, you know, 25 shows a year. Um, he did that. He ended up moving down, moving back to Texas. He still made all the dates. He still drove alone from Texas to Chicago, wherever we were going. He still drove alone all that time. Didn't ask for a raise during that time. I gave it to him because I knew the hours he was driving, but you know, never complained, kicked ass and, you know, eventually got raises uh, throughout the time. And, you know, he got a contract with uh, Evolve uh, within a half a year Amazing. and he's still here. So that, that's my point. If you want to make it, you got to make some sacrifices. Okay. So I want to actually, especially if, especially if you're not a monster, you know, if right, you're not right, just, right. you know, six foot five or athletic, like Ricochet, you know what I mean? Something totally unique, you know, it, it takes sacrifices to make it, it you know, just, uh, learning your craft, being around the right people, you know, just making contacts and busting your ass every time. I love it. So I want to take a step back to you. mentioned about, you know, sacrificing and busting your ass. But I mean, I think some of that also has to be a mentality of a promoter as well. I mean, this isn't necessarily something that you are. I mean, are you working exclusively on AEW? Do you have another kind of couple side hustles? Oh, my God. No, I, I work for Whole Foods. You oh. know, this. Yeah, that I mean, that pays that bought my house, you know, wrestling. I'm a wrestling promoter because I love pro wrestling. Nothing more, nothing else. I never did it to, uh, excuse me. I never, I never did it to make a dollar. My partners didn't do it to make a dollar. Uh, and again, I, I don't, I, if it wasn't for my partners, we, there would be no AEW because this is a team effort and none of us do it for, uh, the dollar. We do it because we love pro wrestling and we hope to make a small difference in somebody's life or in, somebody's memory and saying, man, I love going to AEW shows or I really do enjoy it. Or that's my, you know, that's my out, whatever life throws at me for three hours a day. However, times I go to AEW, if I can, if I can forget my problems for a little bit, you know, that it's all worthwhile. And if, if it's a wrestler that says, you know what, I learned my craft there, I got noticed and uh, I'm currently making a living in pro wrestling. That's all that matters to me. But no, I, I, I never got into it for the money. Uh, would it be great to make money and this would be my only job? Absolutely, because I wouldn't have the anxiety that I have now between, like I had to go to work this morning. I had to work for three hours and deal with pro wrestling and now I'm running around. I got to do some stuff before I even get to the venue. You know what I mean? It's right. It's difficult, but it's a necessity and it is what it is. And I'm really happy you shared that viewpoint because I think that there's definitely a sense of, well, I'd say a lack of understanding around how much it actually takes in terms of not just finances, but physical toll on putting something like this together. And to know that it's a labor of love, I think is what people need to continue to remember. This isn't a situation where you're going to make $10 million in your first year or you're not going to be right. EW or anything like that you have to do it for the love first yeah absolutely I mean and at the end of the day you're not gonna you're not going to give up all your time miss, miss you know 
first days or whatever, you know, I've missed so many things of my kids and, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but because of like, Hey, I had a show or, Hey, I got, I got to drive up and I got, I got to go fly in Milwaukee or I got to go, I have a meeting with this building or I, you know, or whatever it may be. I have to do this. I have, I have to, you know, I'm on my phone when I could be, you know, hanging out with my wife or whatever, you know, it's, if you're not passionate, if you don't truly love it, you're not going to make it. And again, you know, if you're not passionate about it, you're not going to be different and you're not going to be driven. So I, I don't think there's, you know, any success going that route if you don't truly love it. Awesome. And just to wrap things up, and I do appreciate your time, you know, joining us here on Office Hours with AAW wrestling owner, Danny Daniels. Um, I want to go ahead and finish up by talking about this weekend. You know, you have, you know, this tournament. I want, I want the, our listeners to get a kind of sense of the backstory behind the tournament and what they can expect. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I'm sorry. There was beeping. Um, the backstory is uh, my friend Jim Lynham passed away, and that that sucked. That happened four years ago after he passed away. I, I wanted to, you know, do something where the wrestling community can remember his name. They might not know Jim. They might not have seen an AEW show. But now until I stop running or we stop running AEW, Jim Lynham's name is going to be around in the wrestling community. Uh, and it's about featuring the best talent from around the country. It's about uh, giving somebody new a chance. It's about just having a two-day event where guys just lay it on the line and kick ass. And it means the world to me uh, to have this. Uh, I don't know. It's a very special two-day event for me. Uh, it means the world to me. It's, it's my favorite two-day. It's my favorite shows of the year doing this because, you know, I, I truly and deeply miss my friend Jim, you know, who's taken at 43 years old, uh, didn't have any health issues, but, you know, a valve in his heart broke and he bled out tragic is you know it's it, it just it's hard to remember him it's hard to to think about what happened to him so i'm thankful that i can do this you know for him and his family you know a, once a year for sure and i really appreciate it and i think that's a noble cause to to kind of pick up but i really want to thank you so much for your time here you know this is a kind of a yeah. great behind the curtain in a sense, because I think the people who are listening to this, I want them to get a sense. You know, there's a lot of marketing and advertising folks. And what I'm trying to tell yeah. them, I say it all the time. Hey, you should sponsor more wrestling. This is the demographic you're trying to talk to. These people are diehard. They're loyal. They're consistent. And they love something that is a quality product. Well, here's, here's another thing, too. I, and I, I, if you don't mind, I'd like to plug a couple of things. Uh, I mean, we have Twitter. We have over 40,000 followers on Twitter. Uh, YouTube, it's not where we want, but again, um, 15,000 subscribers. Uh, Instagram, same thing, over 15,000. You know, everything is under AW Pro. So that's a great marketing tool if somebody wants to hit their demographic of young males between, you know, 18 and 35, or we get a lot of females in our audience as well. Uh, it's a great way to get a brand and introduce it to newer people. For sure. And in addition to that, the other thing that I, I always try to tell my friends who work in kind of the creative world, I'm like, these wrestlers and these promotions need you. They need music. 
They need designs. They need photos, right. they need videos. They need all of these things. And so leveraging that is a good way to get some work in, especially if you're a young up and coming designer or musician or producer. People need theme songs, all of that. Absolutely. Well, Danny, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate you taking some time out. Yeah. Busy weekend. Enjoy. No me. problem. All right. Thank you for having me on. For sure. I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to the weekend and have a good one. Okay. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Office Hours this week, y'all. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to rate and review the show on your podcast platform of choice. If you'd like to discuss this episode or you have an idea for a future topic you'd like to see, you know, a dive into, email me at officehourswithearnest, E-R-N-E-S-T, no A's, even though I am an A-plus person, at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Hours with Ernest Wilkins was recorded live at Mass in the greatest city in the world, Chicago, USA.